This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the Pride of West London B-Sotted podcast and it's not just any old podcast tonight, it's the millionth listened to podcast tonight and that's a, that's a pretty big landmark. When we started this pod four years ago, four and a half years ago, um, it was on a rickety old train back from obviously a defeat at Middlesbrough and we thought we, I thought we would just like we'd, we'd test the water we'd just see if there was any interest little did we know that there was a million people that would want to listen to this rubbish week in week out and uh, so today you join us from the Prince Blucher pub in Twickenham it's one of our old haunts it's one of our favourite pubs it's one of the ones we come to very very regularly And tonight on the pod, I'm joined by three very close comrades. I have to my left, Gary Paul, GP in the place to be. How are you, Mr. Gary? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad, mate. Um, Good to see you. Thanks for the invite. And um, yeah, onwards up for the bees. And um, if a million listens, if you convert that to pounds, what would you spend that million pounds on? Um, what would I spend it on? Oh, probably, I don't know, I'd probably spend it on a seat at the, uh, in the posh section of the new ground. What, a million pounds? Yeah. I'm not sure they're that expensive. Are you going to get any change? Well, probably, well, I'd hope so. The Allard, welcome to the millionth podcast. How are you, my friend? I, was, I knew there was a million something. I was trying to work out what it was. It's obviously not the millionth podcast, um... It's been, um, been, we've had a bit of a laugh over the last four years because I guess, um, I don't think, I, I wasn't on any of the, the first one. I certainly wasn't on any rickety train. But I remember doing a few sort of Skype or whatever we used to use in those days back in the very early days of the podcast. And um, it's been good fun. Met loads of great people, loads of great Brentford fans. So, yeah, all good. And if you had a million pounds to spend, what would you spend on? I think we've been saying it for the last four years, a, a holding midfielder. I'm a, a million pounds for me, I'm having a floodlight. I've said it a lot, and I'm not sure it will come to that. The Dutchman joins us in the Prince Belusia. 
very local to you. What did you make of a million downloads? I think only three of them were me. Um, probably mostly people listening back to Liberal Nick and said, did he really say that? And listened to it more than once. But it's it's great, isn't it? It's, it's a number that is <laughs> it's staggering, really. Um, if I had a million pounds, I would... I would buy a 30th of Saeed Ben Rama based on his latest valuation. One thing I would say is that I know you've got something coming up later, but um, we have a there's obviously a WhatsApp group where we can basically organise the podcast when they're happening. It's quite most of the people that have done the podcast are on it. Um, yesterday, a question was posed: um, Can people put forward their best moments from the? Um, from the million downloads of Bizotted Podcasts, of Bizotted Podcasts, and um, as of t- as of now, there's still only been one reply, which was which just said John Terry's mum. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm guilty. I'm guilty there. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I, I need to. But I'm not. I'm not. Billy's not here tonight to kind of like snub me and just say no, I can't mention it. So I, I I've got free reign tonight. I, I probably will. I probably will. You know, I'm probably gonna. Um, I'm gonna with, withhold all that. So before we we crack on with tonight's show, what we're gonna do? We'll we'll go back to uh, West Brom on Saturday. Um, it was uh, our first defeat in in. Well, it would have been in eight games. We had seven straight wins before then. It was always going to come to an end. It was a shame that it, it did come to an end against West Brom. I thought, you know, it, under normal circumstances, we would have probably given them a proper run for the money. We, we did play pretty well. Um, the conditions really didn't help us and didn't help the way we play football. That's the way it goes. That's football for you. That's football in England for you. You, you can't have it on a on a beautiful summer's day every week so you need to be able to cope with that as well so let's go back to what the fans thought about the result after the game it was disappointing i thought uh first 10 minutes west Brom looked quite good we were a bit sort of backing off we really got into the game well then as soon as they got their goal um they had a good 10 minutes we were trying to get back into the game and that was really frustrating last 15 minutes there was no football being played at all. I was actually quite surprised how poor they were in defence, West Brom, and a bit concerned we weren't taking advantage of it, um, which is a, a story that's come back to us from, from the past a bit. Uh, second half, to be fair to West Brom, I thought once they scored, they, they'd done enough, and we looked increasingly a little bit tired at times. But overall, it wasn't that bad, was it, I didn't think. Uh, quite impressed with Daniels today. I thought Daniels done all right today. They know how to wind a clock down without making it look as if they're winding a clock down and that's like a little bit more of that that Premier League experience those older heads and that sort of thing and we didn't even bring old grandfather Barry off the bench everyone thinks that it was wrong to change the manager but you know you get that bounce back effect Uh, we were 10 points off first and second before we kicked off on Wednesday now we're seven points behind who knows I think it's the playoffs I think we'll finish third the only thing is, is that I think Villa might sneak in and they'll just wipe us out in the playoffs. It wasn't a great game. Um, the only thing I'm worried about from uh, from Brentford is that we were bullied off the ball a lot. You know, they got in our faces. West Brom got in our faces and bullied us, and we couldn't really cope with that. Well, that's my, you know, and I think that's that. That's my only real concern. But if we'd have played in the first half, I reckon against the wind. Um, and managed to get a nil-nil, then I thought we'd stand a good chance the second half. It was the opposite today. And I thought we needed to go in our time with one or two goals because I, I did think it'd be a struggle in the second half. We did all right for the first 20 minutes of the second half. Um, 
And to be honest, I think if you look at the stats, we did have, we actually converted, I think, was it 12 or 13 chances for six or seven on target, which is quite a good ratio for us. Um, and, you know, their keeper was probably one of their better players, but, yeah, just one of those days. I, I never really had a feeling that we were going to come out with much today once the game kicked off, and that kind of ruins the game for you to some extent. Seven straight wins before today at home. Um, again, that, that was always going to come to an end at some stage. It was either going to be a draw or a defeat. I think that defeat's harsh on us. I think, I think today's a draw. A point, a point today, we should have we capitalised on one of those chances in the first half. And you've got to tip your hat to um, the West Brom player for that run and, and the finish. You know, that was, that was exceptional. We, we could have we taken him down, but it's probably a penalty. So, um, yeah, annoying. So all good things have to come to an end. Seven straight wins at Griffin Park. There was always going to be some sort of closure on that. It was either going to be a draw, which technically isn't a defeat, but it isn't a defeat, or it's going to be a defeat, and it was. West Brom, they came and they did what they normally do. I, 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 I don't remember us playing West Brom an awful a lot, an awful amount of times while I've been supporting Brentford, but... They, they normally come and they, they, normally, they normally beat us. The Dutchman, was it a surprise? Was it a disappointment? Or was it just what was always an, an inevitable conclusion to that brilliant run? I thought it was a bit of a disappointment. Um, you know, surprise, maybe not. They're, they're, they're a decent team. I, I agree, West Brom is just one of those teams we never seem to have played very much. Um, don't remember that many opportunities to, to, to travel to see them away. But yeah, they, they, were, they were good and organised and they had some big names. But... Uh, in their team but that, yeah, we, we were as good as them really weren't we particularly in the first half um, conditions were were interesting I think the same for both teams the toss was interesting um, you know, the Allard will have his piece of me but he's, he's convinced that we lost the toss I wasn't quite so sure I couldn't work out whether we chose wrong or got the wrong in but it always seems a bit strange when we're kicking the other way because we're so used to kicking into the Ealing Road in the second half but um, yeah, we had a chance in the first half uh, I think again it probably shows our lack of plan B and I don't mean that in a critical way but we play a certain way which we all love we bring on other players when we change things up to play in the same way you know, and again we love that. that that's the sort of style of football we play but there's occasions where perhaps conditions or opposition perhaps dictate that for the last 10-15 minutes you might need something a bit different but again not a disappointment to win seven games at home in a row against the calibre of opposition that we played in those seven games is a massive achievement uh, it's just disappointing that you know, two games in a week that we perhaps could have got at least something out of we ended up with nothing from the Sheffield game and, and the West Brom game but, we, you know, we'll, we'll listen to um, what Brian Reamer um, says a little bit later on post the uh, the B team game that that um, we played against uh, Swindon Town earlier today. Brentford B beat them three nil. Um, there were some interesting comments uh, regarding how he's helped restructure the um, the, the A team based on the, the defensive frailties, but the Allard, you know. We heard you in the uh, the package at the beginning of the game, basically saying the the game was decided on a flip of a coin, and you know the fact that we didn't take our chances in the first half when the wind was was in our favour, you know that you you actually thought it was as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. 
people sitting next to me will confirm that's what I thought and it's a ridiculous way to watch a game of football but um, and I don't I'm sure there's, I'm sure it doesn't have to be like that but I, I sort of the thing is I kind of get the impression and I don't know if it's just Brentford or whether it's footballers in general that they're not particularly good at adjusting to that sort of thing so in the second half we were standing too far up the pitch for the goal kicks from um, for our goal kicks which meant that we were having to run backwards towards our goal to win headers that we were then heading back towards our box um, and maybe it didn't happen that often but I can certainly remember it happening once or twice and it just seems a bit ridiculous to me that that they can't figure that out um, but I don't I don't think it's down to I don't think it's a Brentford thing I think it's just um, I think it's footballs in general I, I think to be honest I kind of I, I refer back to I think it was the QPR game where it was the opposite and and um, and I just felt when it when things swung I, you, you know that West Brom are a good side um, it's going to take quite an effort to beat them we saw what they did to us at West Brom albeit that you know we came back into that game um, but they're a, you know they're a good side so so everything kind of needs to go our way and I, I just sort of think didn't think it did really at that point um, so yeah I kind of yeah, I thought it was a bit, fr- just a bit frustrated with it, really. Um, it's not a good way to watch a football match, I can tell you that much. GP, you watched the game on Saturday. You would have probably been as disappointed um, at the at the 90th minute of the final whistle as the rest of us. You know, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad display. We at times we played some really you know really good football. It, it wasn't it wasn't uh, an untypical Brentford performance. We didn't play any any worse necessarily than we played in any of the seven games. It just it just didn't happen for us. We come up against a team that were well organised. Um, who were certainly more experienced than us, and uh, overall they they probably edged it because they were able to close down the game in that final stage without without sort of like playing any football whatsoever. So there was some you know there was some shit housing there that we need to learn maybe, or there was some um, there's some like some time time wasting tactics that we need to kind of like go to evening classes to, to master. You know, is it just another? Is it a game that was inevitable that we were going to lose, or you know, should we be frustrated? Yeah, I mean, obviously you're frustrated because nobody likes losing football matches, but I think it's a we probably it was a. There wasn't a lot between the two teams. We played okay, but when you're playing against like the top six or seven teams in our division, okay doesn't isn't always gonna it's probably not gonna get you a result. You need to have a lot of guys having eight and nine performances, which we didn't have on Saturday. So, um, let, me, let me ask this question. So, like, you know that 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 heat wave that we had end of February when you know we were basking in the Eden Road sunshine. Give us those conditions. Do we win that game against West Brom? No, I don't think so. I just don't think we played well. I don't, just don't think we quite played well enough. And remember, the ga- it was a, a moment of brilliance that, one, that separated the two. There was literally just one moment of brilliance, and that was the three points gone. We weren't able to do anything at that level that that guy was able to do for the six, seven seconds he had the ball. See, I'd go as far as to say is that I think that their experience helped in those conditions. 
that the on a you know that's why I asked the question on a on a sunny day on a on a day without any wind and and, and a day where it's almost perfect perfect conditions. We, we win that match because it's, it's all about football. We haven't got any distractions. There's nothing else to worry about. On, on Saturday, you, you did it. You had squally, squally winds. You had rain. You had, you know, um, conditions where the goalkeepers couldn't kick where they kicked the ball. You know, the direction they started, the trajectory of the ball wasn't where the, wasn't where the ball finished. And as the Allard said, you know, you've got, you got central midfielders that are heading it back towards the direction where it's come from to kind of, you know, to, to just retain possession. Are Brentford not savvy enough yet or, or, or are we just asking too much from a young team? Well, I don't think we adapted quickly enough to the conditions. I would agree with that. So, you know, whether that means on a sunny day we would have won. But, you know, we were still putting the balls in and the wind was taking them and we weren't, you know, they were putting in different kinds of balls. So they seem to be accounting for the wind a bit better than us. But, you know, clearly they're more experienced. And I don't want to play the, necessarily the football that they played, but they've got some good players. You know, even the shithousery, not all of it was illegal shithousery. I mean, you know, whilst we were moaning about running the clock down, some of it was keeping possession little bit slow for throw-ins you know there was some blatant shithousery without a doubt but it wasn't all you know dirty stuff it was just frustration there was a period I think we it was down the um the Bremer roadside towards the end of the, the second half where there's about seven minutes where just nothing happened you know almost it was like a you know a period of possession in rugby or American football where the ball just stuck on that side and they weren't doing anything wrong we just couldn't move it and you looked at the clock and gone right there's seven minutes gone so maybe that's experience you know we, we said it a thousand times or maybe a million times on this podcast that you know we, we play a certain way we like the way that we play there's no team that we watch where we think we'd like to be like them so I guess we have to take some of the you know, perhaps the, the the frailties with that, and learn the lessons as we go along. But um, would we win on a sunny day? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure that that would make that much of a difference. But I, I think uh, a more uh, yeah, a more traditional set of conditions would probably help us more. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, it, as I said earlier, I'm just just a little bit frustrated from that because I, I personally do believe that in better conditions we would have won that and that's not that's not making excuses for the defeat it was always going to happen you know it, it is football we've played some brilliant brilliant football in the last seven home games and uh, we've dispatched some really really good football teams and QPR um, within that so uh, you know it's, it's just it's just par for the season after this twang we're going to come back and uh, we're going to talk about what Brian Remus said earlier um, after the B-team game, how he's going to now focus with Thomas Frank on, on um, the defending and uh, why, why the, the, the deficiencies in the club have been highlighted now. And uh, it, it all starts from the back. You mentioned about making the team better every day. What do you feel? Where do you feel the team has made strides recently? Well, um, I think uh, first and for all, we've tried to uh, to be better defensively. We've tried to get the mentality into the team uh, defending when we not uh, when we didn't dominate the game on the ball. And I think for for a team like Brentford, that's a really really important strategy because we are so good on the ball. We know we always create chances. We know we will always score goals. But we also know that no matter how good we do, there will be 40. 
35% of the of the time where the opponent will have the ball. And if you don't defend well there, we saw that in the weekend against West Brom as well, then only one chance can decide the game. So I think that's where we still need to improve, but I also think that's where we have done some, some really good uh, improvements during the last two, three months to create a better um, situation for us. And what do you think is, what do you feel is the next step for this team? I feel the next step is that we, um, that we get even better understanding the importance of, um, of keeping a clean sheet and defending uh, our goal. Um, most and for all to create a better situation for the attacking players. So when we have the ball, we don't have to chase a goal. When we are in front 1-0, we don't give a cheap goal away and have to, to score one again. It's always difficult if you need to score two, three, four goals every game to win. Then there are games you won't win. So uh, the better we can make that strategy, the more easy we will make it uh, for ourselves. So there you heard Brian Reamer talking about rearranging and reorganising the defence, um, why it's important not to concede cheap goals, why we, we, don't, we shouldn't have to score three or four goals to win a game. What, what struck me about that and what I find really interesting is like he's, he's come in and he's, his influence has coincided with a time where we've actually sold one of our brightest prospects. So Chris Meppham um, was part of the stinky run and Chris Meppham was sold to Bournemouth for 12, 13 million pounds and we've had to reorganise around that loss. Is, is, you know, we we, we talk also talking about earlier, earlier on in the season, right, where, you know, the strength and depth of this team we were our concerns were if you, if you if you take away a couple of key players that we're a little bit flaky but the defense it, it would appear seems to have got stronger Dalsgaard he he's had his critics this season justifiably so Rima's saying basically in that clip that the focus really is on as much as our attacking play on us not conceding cheap goals the Allard how important is it to keep some of these, def- well, this defensive back three, five together? Um, the system works, doesn't it? And it works because Dowsgaard's a really good example of why it works. Because previously Dowsgaard was out of position because, were, and was he out of position because he was, we know he's been asked to go forwards because he had to win goal kicks, our goal kicks, halfway up the pitch. Um, or, and there was no one to cover him behind him. But now we've got three at the back so you've got an extra defender behind him he gets more cover so he looks less out of position he's probably more or less doing the same thing covering the same ground um, the, the thing at the moment the, we've now got a new pattern which is that we seem to and maybe there's only been a couple of these goals but they, they're the ones that are memorable where players are running the length of the pitch at us and, um, and we're, not, you know, we're, not, we're not picking them up I think on on Sat and maybe that's more defensive midfield that that by the time they get to so on Saturday the goal on Saturday by the time he got to the defenders we were in the penalty box and you know it's do or die at that point do you take him down for a penalty potentially or do you sort of stand back and he and he walks his through so so yeah um, I think we look good with the three at the back they look like a good combination. Um, I like, I like left-footed on the left-hand side of that three at the back. Will be the, that may not be the situation moving into next season, unfortunately. Um, so, so, but it's still, for me, it's still, they need a little bit more protection than they've got. Um, but at the moment, the, for me, I just think that the, um, the system works 
better for us with the players we've got and with the lack of a real natural natural holding midfielder um, when you play the three at the back that's kind of you lose your holding midfielder he moves into the back three you could argue instead of a, two centre backs um, and then you've got the two midfielders in front so um, I just think it works for the players we've got at the minute um, so yeah I mean it depends what happens in the summer you might find that you know we bring in players and we move back to a, um, a back four um, depends who we bring in um, be nice if you can play both systems because then you can you know you literally teams will come and not know which system we're going to play we maybe saw that against Villa Dean Smith was a bit unsure what system we were going to play they had to make some adjustments in the first half so it may be nice if we can sort of cover both sides of it the Dutchman the, the loss of Mepham has meant that we've seen more of Jean Vier and Barbe um, in, in the team we, we saw Barbe probably a wing back um, he, he's, he's, he seems to have more of a defensive role now he's out of contracts in the summer he, he'd be a big loss he's a, he's a real crowd favourite I hear he's in negotiation talks I don't you know no idea how that's going to pan out is he one you kind of let go because you can you can still improve on that or do you keep him at all costs or at most costs because he encapsulates that Brentford spirit? He, he gets it. I that's a really difficult question because you, you've, you've summed that up quite nicely. He gets it. We love him. Can we get better? Possibly, I think. you know. And, and the thing for me around the centre-backs, as you know, you know, the position that I've probably studied the closest, I think, you know, we haven't actually missed Mepham. And I mean, that with, with all the greatest respect to the guy and, you know, the f- fantastic player and liking, but it just happens to be the position that we've probably not really missed because of the formation and the people that we had coming in there. You know, we're playing a different formation. Would he have played in a three at the back, you know, three in the centre, five at the back? Would he have played in there? Would he have been the same? I don't know. Um, I still think it's all about combinations. I'm not quite sure yet we've got the combinations right. We're still making some errors. And, and they're young, you know, that, that's going to happen with those people, that we, you know, with Conza and Jean Vier particularly, and Barbe as well, who's slightly older, but he's, he's still prone to the odd one. But, you know, we do seem to still make some individual errors. Um, Most in terms of marking, you know, marking from set pieces and corners where we seem to just miss players. But they're learning and growing and getting better, and we can certainly see that solidity that's happened. And, you know, ironically, it's coincided since Mepham left, which is absolutely no disrespect to Mepham, but the you know part of the turnaround in form and results was post that, which you know, which is more to do with the change in uh, in formation than than any you know, implied criticism of him. But I think we, we you know, Barbe, we, we all like Barbe, and we all think there's possibly better players out there. Um, I don't know, difficult one. Yeah, it is, a, it is a difficult one. I was gonna, I was gonna actually lumber you with a, a little bit more of a kind of a pointed. How important is Barbe's re-signing to Brentford next season? But what, what I'm going to ask you probably instead is that the the Mepham transfer is allows Jean Vier, who who was an, an important last summer signing for Brentford to kind of come to the fore and to show what he's capable of Um, this kind of like ebb and flow of our transfer policy the way we 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 do sell we don't stand in the way it it would appear that we are weakened because of a transfer but what that does allow is it, it it allows the the replacements to come through how important is it that we now crank up the amount we spend on replacements. So instead of spending, 
you know, 500, 750,000 pounds or euros on a player, we have to then up that to 2 million, 3 million, because we, we need guaranteed replacements now, don't we? Well, yeah, but I think that's what we've done. I mean, if you look at what we bought Hogan for and what we've paid for Malpai, um and with some of the uh, again you look at what we paid for say Joseph Zoon and what we've paid for um, Ben Rama um, you can see that where you know we are you know we're not shopping in Aldi we're, we've gone up a bit we're not quite Harrods but Aldi or Aldi uh, Aldi um, yeah I say you know where I think you know we are shopping in a different place to where we were maybe two three years ago depending on how things go and if we can keep getting 12 15 million for players eventually that will leave a bigger transfer budget for us to be spending so talking about um shopping where, where do you actually do your 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 shop which which supermarket is your your supermarket of choice uh, aldi dutchman um, he's white trays. <laughs> if only they. Sorry, I, I, if I can just add one point to what I was saying, I, I think the point I was trying to make around Barbe was more. You know, we're, we're going to finish uh, yeah, prediction time, but you know, we're, we're going to finish top top half, top ten, wherever we finish. The point is, we, we want to get better than that, and it's not about whether these players are good enough for where we are in the league. You know, we, for the last four or five years, we've had fantastic seasons, and we're delighted that we finished top ten. But if our aim is to finish top two or top six. We have to improve somewhere, and that improvement will either come through, you know, people, younger players getting more experience, getting better f- formations and stuff, or, you know, in some cases we are going to have to just get better players in. As, and that doesn't mean the players well, aren't good, but, you know, it's, if we're happy to stay where we are, we are where we are, but yeah. you know, there comes a point where if you really want to go for promotion, we, we still need better because we're not there yet. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when we go back to talking about Barbe and everyone saying, yeah, great, you know, great fella and all that, but. You know, in the end, if we want to get it, you know, you've got to make these hard decisions on, yes, you might like player X as a person, but you will look and see, are there better players out there that are, that we, you know, that are within our budget and do they fit our system? Then, yeah, I'm not being funny, it's not Barbe, it's every single player in that team. You have to be looking at improving. So this is, but this is where the trust in the directors of football does come into play here because, you know, we've had a conversation, we've had this conversation frequently on this podcast where we say, what, how, how on earth are we going to cope without Jonathan Douglas, without Andre Gray, without Tubani Diagraga, without without uh, James Tarkowski without you know with, it, it goes on you know and Ryan Woods yeah you know it, it does it, it, and, and they're all valid points and you know the, the panic is amongst us amongst us when I say the fan base is that it's a calamity every time something goes it's you know it, it, it can't be repaired this is this is like a, this is the demise of our club but we, we, we seem to not muddle through we seem to plan our way through, and you know, why wouldn't you put your trust in that to happen again, the yeah, Allard? And and that is the point, isn't it? Is that you know, and and arguably you can say the same about sticking by Thomas Frank. Is that you know, literally, I would think that seventy-five, eighty percent of football clubs would have sacked him um, during that, towards the end of that period before he turned it around, um, but. I think I've come to trust the directors of football 
And to be honest, I've never stressed too much about Thomas Frank. I mean, I was, I couldn't see how it was going to turn around, but in the end, it just turned around. And and you know, so I, I you, you trust them. I think with Barbe, um, I don't doubt for a minute that we can find a better left-footed centre-back than Barbe. Um, I doubt we'll find one that can ping those beautiful crossfield balls. And maybe that's kind of what we're guided by, is we're watching that going, oh, my God. Oh, it's that left foot. Bang. Perfect. Um, but is that, really, is that his job? It's part of his job, but it might not be the most important part of his job. But that's the bit we love and the bit we see and the bit we're fond of. Um, but there's probably plenty of good left-footed centre-backs out there, and and it may well be that you know that but, we, but we'll find someone. Quite, is, isn't that clear. isn't that part of the, this defence that we love? Is the fact that their first thought is to attack, and and that that, that is just to just to like absorb the ball, snub out the attack, and just get get the ball into an attacking position to get it either get it into midfield or play play the play it down the line and get those wide men just attacking and, and, and that's that's what's I mean for me this is what's really good about Brentford at the moment. This is why this is the best era of supporting the club from my perspective. Because you've got these like players with ability, these players with vision players with technical nows and and they, and, and they they're, they're on the front for, as soon as they've got possession they're, they're looking to get forward and we'll get and we'll, we will only buy centre backs to do that and that's why John Egan was allowed to go because he wasn't that sort of centre back but you know look at Konza Konza's always looking forward the minute he gets the ball we've seen him run with the ball etc etc Barbe's a great outlet but we will and they're, they're the sort of centre backs that we'll buy we won't buy players that can't you know when they win the ball don't look forwards because because we buy those sort of players that's the, the way the club works they're the sort of players we look for they're probably the stats we look for I, I agree inside I guess the only thing perhaps that's what you're saying about what the guy said earlier was you do need defenders who can defend and you have to weigh up all those attacking qualities which is yeah we all love Barber he's, he's a lovely bloke and he's, he's a great player and we'd all be happy to see him sign but you know the, you've got to get defenders and if, if your job is to shore up the defence perhaps you just you know you still look for that all rounder who can spray those passes but you perhaps just make slightly more emphasis on the ability to mark someone from a corner not lose your man um, you know and stop giving away penalties and stuff you know and it's, 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 a, it's an absolute balancing act isn't it we've got a fantastic set of players who you know and I, 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 I Contrary to what I should say, or not, and I don't mean it disrespectfully, but we, you know, we, we inducted Paul Bentz into the, the Hall of Fame on Saturday. You know, top bloke. I've met him, and he actually came to my school and coached me. He's a really nice guy. But he'd be the first to admit, you know, absolute different league from what we've now comparing with. You know, the level of football we're at, we're just streets streets ahead of where we were. We're looking for really high standards now. Um, and if you really want to show up a defence, perhaps you just need to put a little more emphasis on the defensive bit and slightly less on the seventy foot. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to show my age now, and you know, I, I personally, as a, as a fan, as a as a as a Brentford supporter, I don't I don't come to Brentford looking for perfection. If I, if I'm honest with you, you know, I, I I come to Brentford looking for a team that wants to win a game of football, and I, I you know, what I see at the moment it epitomises everything I love about the game. You know, we're we're happy to lose a game trying to win it, and and all of those things. And, and I'd rather I'd rather see an you know a, a uncut diamond like Barbe, who has his faults, and I'd rather have him with his character and his and his kind of like 
chest pumping coming up to the coming up to the Elian Road or whatever the home end is going to be in two or three years' time, and uh, put, putting his putting his putting his heart on the line for Brentford and giving his all, and you know it, it's, it's all right up to a certain age. You know you can't you can't have like you can't have like uh, Macker and you can't have Jonathan Douglas doing that into their thirties and forties. But I think I think Barbe has got a role to play going forward. Um, whether he's you know first choice, second choice. I don't know, but he, he's he's part of the Brentford evolution, and I and I and I hope he stays. Yeah, and I think it's like it's also that system has brought the best out in him. He's a left-footed of three centre backs, and um, and that and that and that's you know. But if we move to four at the back, he's more susceptible not to play. You know, he is perfect for the position he's playing in at the moment. Um, with that system this is what I love about these podcasts this is what I love about these debates it, it, you, you start off say you start, start off talking about Brian Reema and and what he says and basically you, you talk about um, you talk about Barbe for, for 10 minutes because basically that's where it all boils down to you know you, 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 you've got a situation which is in flux and you, you, you've got a, you've got a coach that's talking about improving the defense and the first the first name or the biggest name that comes to mind out of all of that all that back three back five is uh, is, is, uh, is Barbe and um, I, I, I think I, I hope hopefully his days aren't aren't numbered. He's also got to choose to stay, though, Laney, just, just making that point. You know, none of his statements today have said, I want to stay. You know, all his statements have been very kind of professional and ambiguous and, and agent speak in terms of offers and contracts and money on the table. You know, we're all assuming that, you know, given a contract offer, the guy will sign. You know, we've seen that before with uh, other players who we don't, whose names we don't dare mention any longer. And, you know, there is a chance that he could choose to leave of his own accord. Absolutely, and it's true. He may, he may want to go back to France and, you know, if he does... You know, I thank him for what he's done at Brentford and uh, we'll, we'll raise our glasses. Right, it's time to move on. We'll come back after this twang and we'll talk about how we're going we're gonna to have to rejig, not on the pitch, but off the pitch for next season. So we heard the news this week that uh, the B team head coach, Lars Fries, has resigned um, from his post and he'll be returning to Denmark at the end of the current season. It's come as a little bit of a surprise, I think. Uh, Lars was promoted into the job after Kev O'Connor went to join Thomas Frank um, in the in the A-team setup. So it was a big opportunity for Lars to, to, to you know, show his mettle with the, with the B-team. Uh, if you listen to um, him on the official website this week, he, he's leaving without a job to go to really so he's saying that his, uh, his family uh, situation is so that he, he, he needs to return to, um, to Denmark so uh, it does it leaves us not in a lurch as such but it, it, it means that we are looking for key, key replacements key positions on and off the pitch this summer the DOFs have got a big old job to, to kind of like surmount it's, 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 there's a lot of pressure on them, Dutch. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe as you said earlier, they've got a, they've got a decent track record in, in these sort of areas. And um, you know, what we don't know is whether they knew in advance this was happening. You know, is this just, is this just a press announcement, or was it something that they've been aware of and that they've been you know anticipating? Um, clearly, there's some changes there for various reasons, and they're, they're going to have to to overhaul it. But 
I think our model remains throughout the club that it's about the system and the process and we, we try and get people who fit into that and add a little bit of value and change things slightly but it's more about how we work so I think they've certainly done enough to, to warrant our our confidence in them and our belief that they'll they'll replace those roles as they see fit and we should all trust them to do that I do, I do trust them to do it but it's been a, it's been a kind of a state of flux this this season you know um, for one reason or another obviously you know you, you, we have to remember that Rob Rowan sadly passed away he was a, a pivotal part he was a massive massive part in the jigsaw puzzle that is Brentford Football Club um, Dean Smith going to Aston Villa. You got Thomas Frank coming in, and the and the, the uncertainty and the, and the and the kind of the turbulence that happened after he took over at the helm. Um, fortunately, he's got it going again. You've got now you've got Lars Freeze that replaced Kev O'Connor that moved up, and now Lars Freeze is going. You know, it 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 means that there's lots of bits and bobs that you which you just hope you just didn't have to deal with. Um, yeah, but it's nature of football, isn't it? It's um, one, the nature of football, two, the nature of employing people that, you know, aren't from um, from your country or your area, is that, you know, sometimes these sort of things happen and you have to be prepared and you have to go out and find um, find replacements. But as we said, you know, we've not got much wrong in recruitment terms. Um, obviously, you know, I can think of one manager stands out, but apart from that, we've been pretty good at it. Um, so I guess we'll carry on uh, uh, you, you never know this could be the beginning of the next sort of succession um, Thomas you know succession planning for Thomas Frank who knows you know you know the way these things work so I guess we'll go out and we'll I'm sure we won't rush into anything and um, we'll find the right people for the job and I know that just sounds like I'm just going oh but I it our, our track record suggests we'll do a reasonable job of recruitment. So you think it has to be like water off a duck's back? You need to just go. Well, you know, it's a it's a it's a situation that we didn't foresee. It's happened. It's an opportunity. It's it's not a problem. I think that's why you have to look at it. You can't go into sort of you know panic mode when this sort of thing happens because because you know it's the way football is, isn't it? You know, there's a. It's nice if you can build a club that you know where it's not so you know there's not so much going on in terms of people leaving people coming and stuff like that but it's not the way football works um and i guess if you recruit as i said internationally then it's not necessarily the way it works for individuals who who you know it's a big ask isn't it to move from your family um or bring your family to to another country's potential for this and you you, you take the rough with the smooth Again, and you know, as you said, it is the nature of the business. Now, it might be there may come a time where we employ somebody that we don't think is up to, and we're going to move them on. Um, I do, do, did I hear that it's um, for family reasons that he's gone back? So I hope, you know, first thing to say is hope everything's okay and it's nothing majorly serious. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he's here for the rest of the season. So it shouldn't disrupt it too much at this stage, but it does give us plenty of time to get somebody in and give, and it gives them plenty of time to kind of have a whole summer um, with the B team. And that person can have a look and see, you know, with new recruits coming in, etc. We've got, you know, we've, he finishes on a high. We've got two cup finals to, to look forward to for the B team. 
Um, how do you see things, Dutch? Uh, in my job, if someone comes to me and says they're leaving but they haven't got a job to go to, there's normally something more about it than that. So, um, But I won't throw those aspersions in. But it's quite unusual, I guess, as you say, perhaps the going home bit is... The... You say that, but we, we, that's happened twice at the moment. You see, we've got, we've got Lars Fries that's happened to, and Mark Devlin, he, he left and he did, you know, he, he's, it's been announced today that he's been... Um, he's been a, no, he's not gone to Denmark, but Mark... Mark, Mark Devlin has gone to be the Dundalk, oh, Dundalk. Dundalk CEO. So, you know, so yeah, good, good luck to him in that role. But there's, that, that's another case of someone leaving without a job to go to. Yeah, as I say, I'm not comparing different industries, but uh, it, it's unusual for, for most people to leave without something to go to unless there's some other reasons. But there could be perfectly valid reasons. We're not trying to throw muck in, in, into the air around it. But, you know, and the announcement, the timing of it, you know, we've got the two cup finals, the B team's doing well. Does it need to be announced now? Could it wait to the end of the season? You know, internally the club could be dealing with it. There is only a few weeks to go. Yeah, so it could have waited. Yeah, I'm not sure why today of all days that needs to be, not today's particularly special, but I'm not sure why today of all days that will be announced um, to the fans. It's something that they could be dealt with internally and see the season through. But Do you think they were trying to hide it under all the Brexit stories? I think they were trying to hide it under the Mark Devlin going to Dundalk story. I think they were just trying to bury the news. <laughs> so, you know, it, it is going to be a big summer on and off the pitch for Brentford Football Club. It's, uh, you know, as we've said, you know, nothing nothing lasts forever. Um, no, no one person is bigger than the football club. No one player is bigger than the football club. And, uh, you know, but I honestly say, you know, it's not an easy task to replace all these people with like A grade replacements plus find replacement players and better players than the ones we've already got. So I, I might, you know, I do envy, I do envy their wages. I don't envy um, their responsibility of having to get it right this summer. I guess so. But our model, yeah, we're seeing it every week. Our model remains the envy of most other clubs. You know, we're getting more praise than we've ever had from opposition managers and owners about the model, you know, how it's amazing that we continue to succeed, losing our players year in, year out. The model that means we buy people for nothing and sell them on. And, you know, so far, so good. And we all worry that one day that will end. But we continue to get players in cheap. We're paying slightly more than we used to, but we're still paying, you know, one or two million. There's still, the numbers being passed around this week. Even you know, ignoring the clickbaits, 20, 25, 30 million pounds for players that we've paid absolutely nothing for over the year. That, that model's amazing, and you know, there's no reason why we can't continue that success. And we, we, we are the envy of lots of clubs, and we should enjoy that. Well, we, we do enjoy it, and, um, and we will continue to ignore those that will constantly berate a club for getting a tweet wrong, let alone a signing wrong. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll drink, we'll, we'll, we'll raise our glasses to Brentford and our millionth listener, and we'll have a twang and we'll come back and we'll talk about this international window. There are 16 players on the Brentford books who are involved in international duty this weekend and the next, well, next 10, 12 days. Saeed Ben Rama, representing Algeria. He may or may not play in the games against Gambia and Tunisia. Romain Sawyers, captain of St. Kitts. He will be playing against Suriname, maybe. Camo Makocho, 
is got probably got the short straw here. He goes to Libya, representing South Africa. I'm not sure whether that's played in Libya or it's in a in a safe place somewhere else. Um, Henrik Dalsgaard, he could he could reach 20 caps this weekend. Uh, he's in the Denmark squad that face Norway and Bulgaria. Plus, a lot of the B team players they're they're involved in representative games in their age groups. It's it's incredible to be honest with you. We used to be looking at Cole Hutchins playing for the Isle of Man or wherever it was, and and now we're, pl- we're we've got six, sixteen players that are out there representing their country, putting on their shirts. It's a very proud. It's, it's, it's you know it's proud for the club. It's proud for them individually. Is it an annoyance to you, the Dutchman? No, it's not, mate. It's, it's staggering, isn't it? It's good. It's it's not just the first team, as you say. It's the the squad, the B team, uh, the, the under 19s, the under 20s. Cons are in the England, you know, you, under whatever it's under 20s now, is it? Uh, for him, it's, it, we should be proud of it and. Yeah, they don't get the rest. There's the injury risk, but with, if we've got, no, Con- Con's is under 21s. 21 now, so um, yeah, if we've got 16 players representing us, we should be massively proud. We all enjoy it. Um, if we're going to pick a game to watch, I'd probably choose, you know, St Kitts and Nevis right over Libya potentially. If we're going to have a, a besotted away day, um, and you know, we've done it before. You know, we've, we've, we've followed the Herman around um, for, for some some random trips. But there's some, there's some good players there. I'll tell you what, if, you, if um, Ben Rama's not playing for Algeria, they must have a pretty decent team because he must be ready to start for them. It wasn't that random, the trip that we made for Herman Horizon. It was to Paris to see uh, Iceland play the, the world champions France. On a Tuesday night. It was a Saturday. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> it was a long day. It was a very, very long day. But this, this, this international representation of our club, it, it proves that we are um, we're cherry-picking the very best or some of the very best at their representative levels around Europe. You know, we're not, we're not, although we're looking at Scandinavia quite a lot, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Norway, we've got all these people on our books, all these kids in our books, but they're, they're not rubbish, they're, they're the very best in their age group. Yeah, um, and I guess that's our recruitment policy. To be honest, what I was just thinking was, ultimately, all of us be 20 years younger, um, young, free and single, and actually to think of all these opportunities for weekends away, um, because, you know, you could pretty much throw a dart anywhere in Europe and um, go and watch a Brentford player play this weekend. So what are you saying? It'd be fun to do some of that shit, wouldn't it? So you what, are you a bit of a pervert? No, I don't think that's what I was saying at all, Dave. Um, well, I, I was just trying to work out what the options were. You, you, I wasn't really listening when you were saying earlier. Libya didn't, <laughs> Libya didn't sound great. What were the other options? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah well, I mean, that, was, that sounded great, yeah. yeah. Any others? Um, Gambia or Tunisia? Um, yeah. Other options? Suriname? Yeah, yeah. Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Christ, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we go Varna or yeah. Sofia. Yeah. 
Yeah, we go. We probably wouldn't go the Golden Sands rubbish, but yeah, yeah, we're up for that. Yeah. Uh, Norway, expensive. So Sophia still still takes it. I heard she does. And that reminds me of a story about John Terry's mother. But Billy's not here to back me down this week, so I'll just carry it. No, I won't carry on. I'll self-police. We'll have another twang, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the millionth listener, to be honest with you. We'll, we'll have a little bit of a... It's, it's, it's a bit of a either... Well, it depends how you want to look at this. It's either a really highlights package or it's an absolute dog shit package. Is the besotted beef, you know, being fried up, itching, brewery, full of, I mean, I mean itching, beards and everything like that? I've got no idea. You no, know, with my mud on my feet and, you know, not saying I'm growing a beard, but I might wear a beanie hat, you know. Indeed, indeed. You know, I can't, can't say anything other than, um, you know, um, you know, so, yeah, it's looking really good for the... Um, indeed, indeed. Itching. Uh, that's a big question. Who knows? I honestly, don't know. But at the end of the day, it's Brentford, isn't it? Yeah, they're rubbish. <laughs> and we don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Itching. I think, in a way, I suppose it was the, the dawning of realisation that, um, you know, became a reality for me today. It was a bit of a shame, really, because, um, you know what? If we didn't, if. Um, I. I don't know, really, though. Um, indeed, indeed. Um, you know, I think I think we've we've come. Um, you know, um, you know. Indeed, indeed. And there was a lot of hugging going on, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of hugging, a lot of hugging. I didn't um, hug you. No, no, no. But we can hug. That's cool. Yes. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was weird. Itching. A million downloads, that sounds mighty impressive. I'm very happy with that. Most, most weeks it's 5,000 people listening to this podcast. I think that's pretty good when you've got a, 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 an average attendance that's hovering around for a, for a home fan base, about 10. So one in two people that turn out for, you know, for, at Griffin Park on a match day, they listen to us on a, on a, on a Thursday morning. I, I don't think that's bad whatsoever and uh all the time we enjoy it we'll continue to do what we do a million i guess just represents the length of time that i've been involved you know i've, I've been involved with, with, with the print and the, and the pod and the online um i certainly prefer sitting in a pub on a wednesday night drinking beer in the warm with my friends and selling fanzines with you in the cold you know, I remember Rugby Away in the Cup where we actually sold fanzines famously at the wrong grounds for an hour and couldn't work out why we hadn't sold... We actually sold some, which was even more fucking bizarre in hindsight. <laughs> but we couldn't work out why no one was buying so we realised we genuinely were at the wrong football ground. Um, so, you know, some of us go back a long way. For, for me, it's all about... You know, it's fantastic that people listen to us. I'm, I'm staggered where I've got colleagues at work with no interest in, in Brentford who listen to it occasionally and, you know, people who recognise our voices and stuff. And, you know, for all of us, I can certainly speak for the ones that I know. There's no ego involved. We genuinely enjoy doing it. There's no particular political aims or beliefs. It's, you know, I've met some people that I've never, you know, didn't know before this. So the opportunity to meet new people... Um, some like-minded in, in policy, some not, but all like-minded in terms of a love of Brentford and being decent people. So a million just represents a number. There's no gold disc, is there? There's no 
Um, I don't think um, there's no financial gain for any of us. We give up our time uh, for the love of uh, the football club that we all support and for the enjoyment of our mates. Same, keep football out of football is, is a famous saying that we throw around. Um, we never let the results get in the way of having a good time, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be part of this group of friends. Have you, and, um, have you, not, you not had your mortgage paid off? No, I think that's only the select few that have had that done. Oh, okay, okay. really. Oh, it's, yeah, it's just, just, just one or two, is it? Okay, yeah. So the allies, the uh, the million. What does that mean? Um, I guess it's yeah, it's kind of cool, isn't it? I, I still don't really know how you count a million downloads, whatever listens. I'm not, but anyway, it's a big number, and um, it's something that you know it, it's it's been a lot of fun the last I don't know. I think I was involved reasonably early, um, and to be to be brutally honest, I didn't know any of you guys until I did the podcast. Um, you know, I, I think I met famously met Dave over the internet on a, on an early podcast on Skype on Tinder. I think it was on Skype. Oh, Grinder. <laughs> Might have been Grinder. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it's, I met some great people, um, and not just that have been on the podcast, but also through the podcast. Um, you know, and like, like like Dutch says, it's just a chance to come down the pub, have a few beers, and have a bit of a chat about Brentford. We, um, we do we do have a laugh, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. It's a fucking brilliant night. And and like yourselves, I've written before. Um, this is a lot fucking easier than writing, isn't it? You know, it's um, it's a it's a it's a much easier way of getting your point of view across and um, and saying what you think. And no spelling mistakes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I said. No spelling mistakes. No spell check. Turning your words into things you well, don't like even. Liberal Nick could get some spelling mistakes. I find that very hard to believe. But yeah, I mean, a million downloads, it's amazing. I mean, you know, getting similar to other people around, I've talked to people at work and the idea, I don't think there's anybody in my office that's even thought of doing a podcast or taking part in a podcast. So, you know, we get ourselves down here, have a good old laugh and a good old chat. And there's lots of things I can discuss with you that would just bore my missus you know if I sit there telling her yeah exactly it's great work she doesn't have to listen to me harping on I could come down there and get it get it all out well so anyway on behalf of myself and Bill I'd like to thank you all for making a million downloads possible but all that's left for me to say and my friends on the millionth listen podcast in the Prince Belusia in Twickenham on the green is to say, come on, newbies. Come on, newbies. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. 
Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.